If you want my notes today, you can text notes to the number that comes on the screen and what is in front of me will be sent to you. How many are ready for the word this morning? Leviticus chapter 10, beginning in verse one, I'm gonna veer off the ESV that we normally use and I'm gonna read out of the NSAB this morning. And it says this, now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans or their censers and after putting fire in them, they placed the incense on the altar and offered strange fire before the Lord. Someone say strange fire which he or God had not commanded them. That's very important. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. I came here to tell you this morning, strange fire is when God is not in your worship, but you're doing it in his name. The title of this message this morning is Strange Fire. This is a spiritual warfare message, let's pray. So Lord, we declare right now that your word is true. Let every man be a liar. We declare, let your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Holy Spirit, I ask you to breathe upon your Logos word and I pray you would become alive. I pray you would become Rhema right now. Lord, I pray right now that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive what your uh, spirit is saying to us. Lord, we declare right now, no spirit, but the Holy Spirit is welcome in this place. And so we say every religious spirit, every distracting spirit, we say spirit of fear you must go we say holy spirit come rule and reign holy spirit we don't make room for you but we give you the entire room we give you the entire service we give you the entire day we give you this entire church we say it's yours come on pray with me church we declare it's yours so father i thank you that no one came to hear me we all came to hear you so we say speak lord your servants are listening and all god's people said amen, amen. and amen we are stewarding a prophetic word on dunamis. The Lord said that 2023 would be a year of dunamis. It would be a year to strengthen and fortify. That this would be a year where the Holy Spirit would go from resting on us to abiding in us, according to Acts chapter 2. We're not only stewarding that word, but there was numerous prophetic words that came out this year. That no one would stumble or fall behind, or no one would lose their faith. Amen and that we would worship and be people of spirit and people of the word, amen? So we've been in this series on strengthening and fortifying our flesh. I told you at the beginning of the year that we're gonna preach on numerous different topics and that we would do our job as spiritual teachers and as spiritual leaders to teach and prepare you according to what God put on our heart to make sure that we were strengthening and fortified. We've been talking about the authority of scripture. We've been talking about eschatology in the last days. We've been talking about important issues like marriage and gender and different ideologies. And, and, and today I wanna bring a message on spiritual warfare and we've been sprinkling these out throughout the year and this morning is one of them. I'm excited about this message today because it's been something that's been stirring in my heart for about a year now and it's this word on strange fire. Someone say strange fire. Now when we're talking about spiritual warfare, it's important that you understand the greatest spiritual warfare will always come against your obedience and your worship. And in Leviticus chapter 10, both of them were attacked in that moment. The enemy is replacing 
the Holy Spirit's fire with the strange fire. Getting a lot of feedback, guys. I have a caution for you today, and, and I want to share with you two of my greatest concerns in the body of Christ right now. The first I shared with you a few weeks ago when I taught on the authority of Scripture, and it's this, is that people do not know God's Word. And when you do not know God's Word, you are susceptible to false teaching. It is amazing how many individuals have no idea when they're hearing false teaching because they just go to church or they just watch social media and they listen to pundits or they listen to the false prophets of social media say things that sound good, but they're not God and they're not scriptural. If you do not know God's word, you are the first and easiest target of the enemy. You are the sheep that strays from the flock. The second concern that I have in the body of Christ right now is not intimately knowing the Holy Spirit. For many denominations, it's God the Father, the Son, and His Holy Word. And I'm all about His Holy Word, but the Holy Word will show you the author of the Word, the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I have much more to tell you. I have to go, and I'm going to give you the greatest gift, the Holy Spirit. It is amazing to me how many people do not know the Holy Spirit. Jesus warns us of the dangers of not knowing Him. Matthew chapter 7, 23, in my opinion, one of the most fearful verses in the Bible. Jesus said, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity or lawlessness. Jesus warns that many people will prophesy, many people will do exploits, many people will think they know God, but standing on judgment days, his response will be, away from me, you were never intimate with me, you didn't really know me. It is shocking to me how many do not know the Holy Spirit. And how many think they know him, but they really don't? Let me ask you this question this morning. How do you know if someone really has a relationship with the Holy Spirit? And the answer to this is this, it's easy. You begin to look like the one you behold. We saw this with Moses was when he was intimate with the Lord. And the closer he got to him, the closer, the more he became like him or he began to reflect his glory. We see this, how do you know if someone is truly knows the Holy Spirit is they produce spiritual fruit. We all good? I don't know if that was a praise break or if that was a deliverance moment, but we all have those as parents, amen? How do you know if someone knows the Holy Spirit? They produce spiritual fruit. Listen, if you don't have spiritual fruit, you must substitute with religious lingo. Oh, pastor, I have all this fruit. Look at my new car. It's not a new, that's not fruit. That's a dumb car. It may be expensive, but it's no evidence of fruit in your life. No, 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 but look at, look at this new house that, that, that I'm blessed with. Look at this fruit. That will burn. Ask the next hail store how fruitful that house is. No, that is not fruit. The only thing that is fruit is in God's word, Galatians chapter five, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let me do this. If you wanna show off your fruit, show off your self-control. 
Show off, watch, what you could have bought, but you did not buy. Show off what you wanted to say, but you did not say. Show off what you wanted to do, but you did not do. Someone say fruit. Then the word says they'll know us by our fruit, not the size of our church. See, what people don't know is I was like this, Heather was like this before we pastored a big church. And guess how much we've changed since we've started pastoring a big church? Nothing. It's the same passion. That's why all these other churches look at us like, ah, you're kind of bold. Ah, you say things that we don't say. Ah, you kind of make us nervous. I've been doing this before people were watching. Before there was an audience, before there was influence, before there was authority. Now watch, now I'm not changing. Watch, my relationship with the Lord, watch, or what I've been burning for because all of a sudden I have something to lose. You become dangerous when you have nothing to lose. I don't care how big the church gets. We're going to serve him like we have nothing to lose. I don't care how many campuses we have. We're going to serve him like we have nothing to lose. I don't care how much influence God gives us. What is the point of your influence if you do not use it? Your relationship with the Lord is determined by your fruit, but it is a dangerous state when the church can't tell the difference between the Holy Spirit's fire and strange fire. Typically when I preach, I set something up, I teach on it, and then I get to the story at the end of my message. But this story is so complex, I need to start doing it at the beginning of the sermon. And so I wanna invite you into the book of Leviticus chapter 10, where it's the focus of our text. And, and there's many people that are growing in relationship with the Lord and Leviticus is kind of this obscure, abstract uh, book that sometimes you race through in Bible reading plans, but, but you don't really camp there for that long. And so I wanna catch you up with the significance of the moment of Leviticus. And so we know the earth was formed in Genesis. God created the earth, he created man. As soon as he created him, he had one rule. They broke the one rule. They turned on God. They were, they, they, they were tempted by the, animal, the, uh, the enemy. They gave into original sin. And then it went from bad to worse really really quick. And God said, the world is so corrupt. It looks like America right now. I'm going to destroy it all. And I'm going to spare a righteous man and a righteous family named Noah. We know the story of Noah and the ark and Noah and the ark with the flood. It wiped out the evil of humanity. And then they, they begin to repopulate the earth. And then soon after that, God called Abraham. You know the story from, uh, from Bible school, father Abraham with his many sons. Many sons had father Abraham, but he didn't have many sons. He really had a son, Isaac and Ishmael. He tried to birth something and follow the prophetic word in his flesh and it birthed an Ishmael. But when he obeyed God and honored God, it birthed an Isaac. We know that he asked Isaac, he asked Abraham to give his son as the ultimate sacrifice, type and shadow of what God would do with Jesus. But when he went to go make the sacrifice, God said, no, I just wanted to see if you trusted me or not. In fact, I'm going to do what I prophesied to you through your son, Isaac. Isaac was the one who gave birth to Jacob. Jacob had the 12 sons of Israel. Okay. The 12 sons of Israel begin to populate the earth. You know the story of Joseph with his many colors. He made his way to Egypt because his brothers were jealous of him and sold him into slavery. So then they begin to populate
populate Egypt, and that's where they became a great nation. But they were in prison. They were abused. They were slaves in Egypt. So God raised up Moses. Moses led the children of Israel out of the promised land. So they lead them out of the promised land to the wilderness where God shows up by fire. So now here we are at the end of Exodus in the beginning of Leviticus, right after they got out of Egypt, and they're beginning to enter the promised land. Are you with me? I deserve a water break. So watch, hold on. They're out of bondage on the verge of promise. Say it again. They're out of bondage on the verge of promise. And then the book of Leviticus, God says, I'm gonna teach you how to worship. The book of Leviticus, the entire book in the Bible, the main theme of Leviticus is to teach us how God wants to be worshiped. But if you just look at it as laws or you look at it as rules, you will miss out on the beauty of what God's trying to show his people. So the primary characters in this story is God, Moses and Aaron, which are the leaders of Israel, and then Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu. And they're just coming out of the promised land and God is teaching in Leviticus how he wants to be worshiped. So if you wanna look at Leviticus from a 30,000 view, chapters one through seven are instructions concerning offerings because God cares about offerings. I know greedy people like to say they, he doesn't, but he really does. Then Leviticus 8 through 10, it's the instructions concerning priests, and that's where I will teach from today. Leviticus chapters 11 through 22 is the instructions during, during purification for Israel. Chapters 23 and 24 are instructions concerning feasts. And then chapters 25 through 27 are instructions concerning the land. But again, the entire main theme is worship. So when I talk about worship, what am I saying? It is the practice or the expression of praise, thanksgiving, adoration. Worship is the odd response to the saving acts and praiseworthy character of God. Worship is the reverential response of creation to all-encompassing the magnificence of God. Or it's the act of giving glory. Pastor Jasmine says it like this, worship is honoring the Lord or assigning heaven's value to the Lord. We hear the word Hallel in the Hebrew, which is used for the word Hallelujah, which means praise Yahweh. Every time you hear someone say Hallelujah, it derives from the Hebrew word Hallel, which means praise Yahweh. There's many different expressions of worship that God ordains. There's a worship of singing songs of praise and thanksgiving like we did this morning. Moments of adoration, lamentation. You can worship through confession. You can worship like Ruby did this morning through the dance. You can worship with your tithes and offerings. You can worship by bowing prostrate before the Lord. You can worship by serving. You can also worship with your entire life as an act of worship. Romans 12, one says, I appeal to you therefore brothers for the mercies of God to this present, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual Worship. Someone say worship. So here we are in Leviticus, and God says, this is how I want to be worshipped. And he gives 
Israel, Moses, clear instructions on the proper way to worship him. Put the graphic of the tabernacle. So this is the tabernacle of Moses. David would go and build this as a permanent temple of the Lord where it was in Jerusalem. But until they got to the promised land, they had to take this portable sanctuary or tabernacle and everywhere they go, they would bring this tabernacle with them. And if you go read all throughout Leviticus and Exodus, God gives clear instructions on who would go into this place, what degree they would go into this place, and what would happen in this place. And so there was this entrance, and when you'd go into the entrance, they would call it the outer court. Someone say outer court. In the outer court was where the brazen altar was. That is where they would sacrifice the altars. Now, anytime you see an altar in God's word, it means place of sacrifice. So in order to get into the presence of God, the first thing you would have to live a life or bring an offering of sacrifice, say sacrifice. It's amazing how many people want the presence of God without stopping first in sacrificing. And sacrifices did not stop in the Old Testament, even though they were lambs and goats back then. See, they became our lives in the New Testament as living sacrifices. But in the Old Testament, they would bring live animals and they would offer them on the brazen altar. And I don't know if you've ever been hunting before. There's quite a bit of hunters in our church. If you don't like that, then move out of Texas. And, and, and if you're ever around any kind of dead animal or dead carcass, especially if you would burn it, which I haven't had any interactions with, but they start to smell. They start to smell. So imagine the smell of the regular sacrificing of altars in the temple of God. And so the next step is where authorized priests would go to the altar of incense. The altar of incense is where they would worship the Lord daily. Someone say daily. The incense was an aroma to God. Again, in the New Testament, it says we are the aroma of Christ. Our worship is the aroma of Christ. So it, God said, I want daily worship. Someone say daily encounters. He said, I wanted daily encounters. And then it served a practical purpose too, is the incense would, would make the bad smell of the offerings go away. So this was the process that the Israelites would do before the Lord. They would bring this before the Lord. Now the incense was important because the incense was specific worship unto God alone. This is very important. It was specific incense or a smell or a fragrance meant for only God. It's an abstract scripture that's pretty interesting. In Exodus chapter 30, verse 38, it says, whoever makes anything like it, this incense, to use as perfume shall be cut off from the people. They weren't allowed to make a smell for themselves that they made for God. He said this, you cannot use what you use to worship God or watch, attract the attention, attract the presence, attract the favor of God, watch for your own purposes. Oh, there's a prophetic warning in this. 
that you cannot use the favor of God, the anointing of God on your life to attract people to your influence. You cannot use your creativity, watch, to attract people to you. You cannot use the favor of God that's on you to try to attract people to your business dealings. You can't use the favor of God on you to try to attract people to your ministry. We say it at Mercy Culture all the time, the best thing that you can do is give all attention on God. The worst thing that you can do is bring any attention on yourself. God said this, watch, the smells you make for me belong to me. The incense you made for me is for me and me alone. Why? Because God is looking for purity in worship. I was really blessed by that little girl, Ruby, who worshiped this morning with her beautiful long hair. She was there in pre-service worship with just a few people in the room worshiping like the room was full. If the room is full or the room is empty, she's still just worshiping unto her Lord. I believe the Lord is looking for purity in worship. There's something pure on the worship of this house. I started noticing about a year ago that there was a difference when we sang songs of the house versus when we sang other songs. And it may seem insignificant, but I, I, I would notice in the worship sets that we would go to a deeper place in the presence. It's like we'd just automatically be in the glory when we sang the mercy culture songs. And, and I kept noticing it week after week, and I began to, to, to talk to Pastor Jasmine about it. I asked her to pray into it. And what the Lord showed her was every song was like a new weapon in our tool belt. There's been many prophetic words about the songs that would come over this house. And what we saw is there's an anointing on this house for the songs of this house. That when you just begin to sing easy, the entire place just erupts with the song of this house. I don't know that new song that we're singing about Dunamis, but I'm guessing it's a song of this house because those, that's the language of this house. Watch, and we, we begin to worship with the language of this house. Now what's wild, I feel the Holy Ghost. What's wild, God's gonna promote mercy culture worship in new levels. I feel the prophetic on me right now. Here's the thing, watch, is we have not marketed our worship. See, because if you shorten the songs, they, they make it on the radio. And if you don't speak in tongues, they'll definitely have a higher chance of praying them. And if you don't celebrate publicly the overturning of Roe v. Wade, that's a better chance that more people will take it up. And what I love about the songs of the house is they're not made for radio. They're not made for mainstream. They're made to please the king and to release an anointing and an oil that is on this house. And when you steward what God gives you well, he gives you more. Someone say more. I'm gonna need 10 more minutes on that clock. Might as well tell him now. So what happened in this story in Leviticus where two men, the, the sons of Aaron, the brother of Moses, did something so wrong that fire of the Lord would come out of the holy place and consume these individuals that offered what scripture calls a strange fire. I'm gonna begin to explain it to you today. Three, a few things that they did. Number one is they used their own sensors. Sensors were the little device that would hold coals or would hold the fragrance, that would hold the fire of the Lord. And there was certain ones that they were supposed to do, but they said, I will do it my own way. It reminds me of Uzzah touching the ark where it says, I will serve God my way. 
I will do what I think is best to do. The second thing is they did the high priest's job or they did not honor spiritual authority. Leviticus 16, number 17, and Exodus 30 were clear about ordinary priests were not supposed to make the burnt offerings on the golden altar in the holy place. It was clear the instructions that God gave, but they engaged in what I call unauthorized ministry. What are unauthorized ministries? It's I'm just going to start this ministry because I have a good idea. I'm going to start this ministry because I'm disgruntled. I'm going to start this ministry because I'm jaded. I called it church hurt and church abuse, but really it's a rebellion in me that was never dealt with. And anytime there's correction, I call it abuse. Now, trust me, I've been spiritually abused. I know what it feels like. And here's what I know, the beauty of when you guard your heart and do it unto the Lord, he sustains you in dysfunctional, abusive environments. Now watch, I'm I'm not saying that you should be in an unhealthy, un, uh, abusive environment. In fact, I would say you shouldn't be in a church that's like that. But if any time you're corrected, you call it abuse, it's because you are rebellious, my friend. And that's why it's been 20 years and you haven't been able to find a good church. And that's why every time something's taught that's contrary to your doctrine, it's, oh, I just need a church that just feeds me the meat. And, and, and no church I could find feeds me the meat. But that's funny because grown-ups feed themselves. And if you daily encountered, you would not have to be starving trying to find a church that would feed you. Watch your specific palate. But the truth is, is you reject all feeding because you are... It's unauthorized ministry. So I'm just going to go start a house church because that was really the, the model of Acts 2. No, it wasn't. No, a bunch of rebellious people leaving the church was not the model of Acts chapter 2 where there is no ordained ministers. There's no apostolic covering. There's no spiritual authority. There's no being sent. There's no yes and amen by the fathers of the faith. It's a bunch of disgruntled individuals that are going from place to place doing their own thing. And here's what's wild is you pretend like a church, but you don't have the protection, the spiritual protection of a church. So watch, you get the assaults of a church without the defending of God of a church. I wondered if I was going to tell this story or not because I don't really like it, but I kind of like it, but I'll tell it anyway. I met with our lawyer today, uh, this week and, and we're going over our bylaw stuff and, 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 and he said to me, he's like, you sure remind me of Trump. <laughs> Thanks. I said, uh, you're going to have to unpack that one for me. I don't know how that, it really hasn't landed that well. He's like, no, you're like Teflon. Nothing sticks to you. I was like, okay, cool, I got it. Let's work on a new analogy. <laughs> He's like, I, I, I don't have another client that's attacked more than you. I don't have another client that, that, that it comes after more than you, the bloggers and the media and all this stuff. He's like, and nothing seems to stick to mercy culture. You know why? Because lies don't stick. Do you know why? Because the truth will set you free. Do you know why? Because when you got nothing to lose, no giants intimidate you. They may come at you with a sword or the spear, but we come at you with the name of the Lord. Watch. 
Because when God speaks to you about joy-based warfare, you begin to laugh in adversity. Watch. When his hand of protection is on you, watch. Even though you're going through the greatest trial of your life, you understand the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's when the enemy tries to bring fear, you engage fear-based warfare, and you will not respond in a spirit of fear. Watch, because I know that I'm in the perfect will of God because I'm doing what he asked me to do that I never wanted to do, but I'm doing it in obedience and watch. So that means that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. That means it doesn't matter who is against me when God is for me. Watch, it changes the game. You're not worried about your reputation. You're worried about obedience. And I understand that there's a risk that you take by being a member of this church. And you got to determine if you're going to care or not. Because it might be the church with the white pastor. Only white people laughed there. It, it may, they, a podcast did, a, did an episode on us uh, evaluating our worship. And they're like, oh yeah, that church that does Trump rallies. And this church just lit them up. Because people don't know how to take it. And they're like, separation between church and state, and uh, the IRS, and ah, uh, you do this, and ah, uh, and, and, and you're just mean, and you're just hateful. What do we say mean and helpful, hateful? I don't know, but you said something. <laughs> Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Listen, there is so much freedom when you are under the covering of the Lord. Watch, unauthorized ministries are doing ministry without the covering of God. It's that house church isn't covered. It's not authorized. It's that online Facebook prophet. It's not authorized. You're not a prophet. And I'm going to give a warning to you because there's a lot of you that repost a lot of online prophets and your pastor wants to come and bring some order in your life. Quit posting online prophets when you don't know who they're accountable to. Quit reposting online. I had a dream. Great. What accountability do you have for that dream? Some of you are so impressed by the John Paul Jackson called on the machine gun prophets. Brrr, prophetic words for everybody all the time. And it doesn't matter if any of these come to pass, if any of these are true, if any of these I'm accountable to, everybody gets a prophetic word. And some of you are like, yeah, just give me one, just give me one. I don't honor, I don't steward anything God's ever told me to do. Even though words come every year to our house that I don't do and I didn't fast and I don't say yes and amen and I'm not willing to sacrifice for those prophetic words, but just give me another one. What words are they accountable to? Who are they accountable to? Ah, but it's the beginning stages of that strange fire that you like so much. And you can't tell the difference between what's Holy Ghost fire and what's strange fire. Unauthorized ministry. Hmm. And here's what they did. They authored, offered incense at an unauthorized time. What's that mean? I'll go to church when I want. I give when I feel like it. I don't feel like fasting this year. I'm going to sit this one out. Fasting is not for me. Well, that's funny because you don't fast for today, you fast for tomorrow and you don't know what tomorrow will bring. That's why the fast of today is so important. 
A couple months ago, I heard the Lord say, you're living in the fast of yesterday. Years of 40-day fasts. We are living in the fruit of it today, which was cool, but also exciting at the same time of, oh, I got to fast today for tomorrow. Unauthorized fire, unauthorized ministry creates a strange fire. I'm going to give a disclaimer. Sometimes strange fire is used by critics to label anything out of order or anything someone doesn't scripturally agree with. There's denominations that have strange fire conferences that they mock and speak against the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're like anything, any verse can be taken out of context when not stewarded correctly. What is strange fire? Strange fire is the word zu'er in the Hebrew. It means to be strange or a stranger or to be uh, alienated, to become estranged or a prostitute or a harlot. Strange fire was fire that was wrong. It was fire which they had kindled or caught up in their own common way and not created by God, but created by themselves. So when they're in the tabernacle, can you put this, the picture up of the tabernacle one more time? When they're in the tabernacle, God originally created the fire on the altar of in, uh, 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 the brazen altar. God himself lit the original fire. Strange fire was the common, the outside, the self-produced, the self-cultivated fire that man created on their own and they thought God would not notice. I'm gonna give you some examples throughout different versions of the Bible. ESV says it's unauthorized. The New, uh, New Living Translation said it was the wrong kind of fire. The Amplified says it's unacceptable. And the New King James says it's profane. And I want to speak on profane for a moment. The word profane is where we get our word profanity. The word profane means what is outside the temple or what is secular or what is used for common use. Profane is the word hakel, which means to be defiled or polluted. It means to be wounded or to be pierced or the opening wedge that begins to defile. The profane thing is this. It is the thing of worldliness that begins to defile your worship and your life. It is the open door that you leave to the enemy that is the beginning of defilement. Let me simplify it for you. The profane is the common thing that you pretend is holy. Profane is the same worship that you give to sports teams. You give to God. Profane is the same donations you give to a random charity you give to God. Profane is the same dance you danced on Friday night you give to God on Sunday morning. Profane is that you settled for influence on social media over authority in the spirit. Profane is when you pretend your business is the Lord's, but it's really about you and your empire. So let me ask this question. What made it profane? What made it common? Or what made it strange? And the answer to that is this. 
It wasn't the fire from the Lord. It was their own fire. It was their own fire. Fire. Strange fire is when you are fueled by your own passion, when you are motivated by your own success, when you are driven by your own desire to be important or succeed. Strange fire is when God is not in your worship. Strange fire is when God is not in your church. Strange fire is when God is not in your life. Strange fire is created by you, for you, and it's about you. Strange fire is when you are your fire, it's not God. Strange fire is when you're a consumer of Christianity. You're not consumed by the fire of the Lord. Strange fire is you are familiar fire, but it doesn't refine you. Strange fire is when you look like the God you know, but you, you don't look like the God you know, you look like the world still. Strange fire is when you're attracted to the flame, but you never surrender to it. Strange fire is when your worship looks like you love God, but your lifestyle looks like you love the world. Strange fire is when revival has to be marketed because it wasn't authorized by God. Strange fire is when you have a life that's close to God, but you're not consumed by his Holy Spirit's purifying fire. Let me simplify this for you. Strange fire is when God's not in it, but you use his name. Pastor, are you judging my worship? No, I'm asking you to judge your worship. I'm asking you to evaluate. And I begin to see this creep into the church. I've watched it creep in where a spirit-filled ministry has now become a style. Where spontaneous worship is now planned. Where it's become an expression. I remember watching American Idol years ago and I watched someone begin to jump in down like they're encountering God and begin to cry and woohoo and run out the building and turn around like they're at a church service and they were singing a Whitney Houston song. And strange fire is we, when we do the same thing about the Lord, but he's not in it. He's not the source of it because we still look live and love the world more than him. That's why you have a hard time with this house sometimes. That's why some of you is like, oh, I love the worship, but I don't know about all that word. It's because you like strange things. See, because if there's a true worship movement, there's a true word movement at the same time. The two of them are inseparable. Because the more you know the word, the more it cultivates your worship. And the more you engage in worship, the more you desire more of the word. Watch, in order to keep it holy, it must stay bound in the word. I'm gonna give you three causes of strange fire. Three causes that this begins to infiltrate your life and begins to infiltrate the church. The first cause of strange fire is familiarity. And I believe that this is the greatest warning for this house in this word. There's many people that are going to listen to more parts of this sermon and it'll bear witness to them. But this is the greatest concern that I have for our community is familiarity. Watch this. So Nadab and Abihu 
are the sons of Aaron. Aaron is the brother of Moses and Moses is the guy in charge of all Israel. He's the one that talks to God face to face like a, like a friend. This is the nephews of the greatest man of God on the earth. They are in close proximity to spiritual leadership. Watch this. Not only that, but God himself lit the fire himself eight days prior. And one day after their week of consecration, one day after it, they fall into familiarity. Here's the warning is that you can so quickly fall into the familiarity that God's here. And then we say stuff like it's like this every week. And then all of a sudden you'll think it'll be like this every week, no matter how you live. No matter how you pray, no matter what fruit you may be producing or not producing, watch the show will go on. I can get my little Holy Spirit fix at mercy culture. I can live however I want. And I would caution you that maybe one day you will wake up like a Samson and you have lost your strength because you are too familiar with the source that you gave away the secrets of your strength. Do you know why we say it's like this every week? It's not, it's not a brand ambassador. We don't bring in marketing companies to help us brand our church. We just say things, wow, he's here. Wow, it's like this every week. Wow, is it gonna come? Wow, it's gonna happen. And do you know this has been happening for the last five years? This started on the second night of our team nights when we were planting Mercy Colts in a church downtown called Seventh City Church. And I walked into the second uh, team night and I said, Lord, are you gonna come like you did on the first one? I asked him, I'm in the middle of worship. Are you going to come? Are you going to come where it's the sovereign, tangible presence of God? I'm not talking about when you see, when you talk about God and you feel the air conditioning blow on you. I'm talking when you get goosebumps when it's too hot in this sanctuary because you feel the presence of God. I'm talking when you feel the waves of the glory, when you feel angels moving past you, when you feel holiness is in the room, when you feel like God is here. That's what we feel every time we came. And I said, Lord, are you going to come again? And all of a sudden, he came. And he said this. He said, I'm always going to come when you give me the room. So it's not a cute little prayer. We won't make room for you. We'll give you the room. It's what he said causes him to come. That we're not going to give him five minutes extra time on a Wednesday night twice a year. Where we're not going to shorten the services, even though there may be a traffic jam. We don't want there to be traffic jams. We're sorry that you had to wait for kids. But I would rather have his win come than your win leave. Come on, hear this today. We hope your experience is great. We want it to be. We try to make it uh, as good as it can be, but that's not the highest priority. Your experience isn't the highest priority. Watch, him wanting to come into the room is the highest priority. And so everything adapts to that because it is the focus. Watch, we don't want to get familiar. And what I didn't realize as a young pastor and a former evangelist who traveled around the world and went to churches every week around the country and I'd go to a few churches a year that I would feel the wind, I would feel the waves, I would feel the glory, but not that many churches. And what I know now and I didn't know then is the reason why I wouldn't feel it all the time is because there's not a lot of places he's welcome. And when you build a church for people, 
or when you build a church to have a right structure, or when you build a church to be marketed, when you begin to navigate the ark, you lose his glory. Church, have you become familiar? Have you become familiar? I walked in here on Thursday and went to go pray, and the moment I walked in, I felt God in here with me. No one was in here but me. I came in here last night and prayed. I felt God in here. I'm warning you, if you become familiar with his presence, if you become familiar with this house, it is the open door for strange fire to enter your life. Number two, you all ready? The second cause of strange fire is intoxication. Leviticus 10.9, you and your sons, this is God, are not to drink wine or strong drink when you enter the tent of meetings or else you will die. This is the permanent statue for generations to come. I felt strong in my spirit that I was supposed to address drinking and drunkenness in a culture that is produced by strange fire. I want to give a disclaimer that I don't personally drink. Our pastors and elders don't drink. And we're not judging anyone that does. I want to be clear from a biblical perspective, you cannot abolish drinking and the Bible doesn't abolish drinking. There's many scriptures on the joy or the enjoyment of wine. So I want to be clear with this. But I want to be also clear with the sin of drunkenness. So I do not want you to hear your pastor saying you cannot drink. I have made decisions for my life that I do not drink. And the reason I don't drink is because the masses of pastors and spiritual leaders that have fallen due to alcohol. So for me and my house and our family, what, what leaders do in moderation, followers do in excess. In fact, as we have given pastoral care to people, majority of the fights and affairs and the things that have ravished families are attached to alcohol. And so that you begin to do things that you wouldn't normally do because you are intoxicated. But more than the drinking, I want to talk about a spirit that's behind it. And this is usually where some carnal Christian pipes up and they say something like, well, Jesus drank. And, and I would say, yes, he was never drunk. And it's a sad place when the only time you can compare yourself to Jesus is when you're drinking. So I would try to broaden the scope of praying and fasting and forgiving and loving and other things besides drinking. I want to be clear. I do not want you to hear a harsh pastor hammering you today. I want you to hear a loving father warning you. And I want to warn you about the intoxication that leads to strange fire. This is wild. So in, in, in Leviticus 10... The sons of Aaron create this strange fire and disobey the Lord. And then right afterwards, God warns and say, hey, no one's allowed to drink as a priest anymore. The Levites aren't to touch alcohol. Here's why. It's because theologians believe that they may have been drunk when they came in and did this. And so they begin to stumble around. Instead of obeying and honoring God, they just begin to do what they wanted to do and found themselves in disobedience because they were intoxicated. 
and I've watched the same way that potentially it, it, it caused Nadab and Abihu to go off course is we've seen the church in America go off course similarly. So what does the Bible say about drinking? Ephesians 5.18, it says this, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Here's my concern, that alcohol has become a substitute for the Spirit-filled life. So you need a little, a little nightcap to take the edge off instead of the Holy Spirit bringing you peace that surpasses all understanding. You just need a little to have, let your hair down and enjoy yourself when he's the joy of your strength. So alcohol will never replace the relationship of the Holy Spirit. This is important you understand this. But what we've seen in scripture is getting drunk is a clear sin and forbidden in the Christian life. Proverbs 21 says this, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler. Whoever's led astray by it is not wise. Church, I've watched so many people fall to this because of the lack of wisdom. I know we have pastors for pastor's impartation here. So here's the story I heard. Pastors don't want to be seen drinking publicly, so they just start drinking in their home. And then they drink in their home and there's no accountability and then they get drunk in their home. And then all of a sudden they have a vice and they're all of a sudden bound. Do you know how many pastors called me during COVID struggling with alcohol? Ah, because the government told them to shut down their church. So the strip club stayed open, but the church is shut down. Everyone claim Romans 13. I'm scared of my own shadow. I don't want to be sued. I don't want to lose my 501c3. So I better do exactly what the government that just hung trans pride flags at the White House tells me to do. So I stop ministering. Watch. Now when kings go out to war, I'm at home with alcohol. Have you not seen all the fairs coming out of the church recently? Where do you think the seeds were planted? They were planted when people were shut down. The kings, the priests stopped fighting and they opened the door to what is profane. It came in and pierced them. It pierced their hearts. It put a hook in them. And now they found themselves struggling, living in sin. And now they see the fruit of the sin that was planted three years prior. It's an intoxication of the church. I'm going to lean in. This is important. Some of you sing worship songs to songs that were written by people that go out and drink alcohol and get drunk before and after writing and finishing that song. Where there's a movement happening in the worship community of complete drunkenness and debauchery. And Nashville is full of worldly, wicked Christian writers and singers. And they go to award shows and they travel to churches, but they live strange fire lives. It's the same people that didn't want us on our albums celebrating the overturn of Roe v. Wade. Do you know why? Because it's not Holy Ghost fire. It's strange fire. It's they don't want us talking about abortion. They don't want us talking about trafficking. They don't want us talking about heavenly justice. Because you know what? It will mess with their prophets. 
It's not Holy Ghost fire, it's strange fire. It seeped their way into the church. This intoxication, it's not just intoxication from alcohol, it's intoxication for success. It's an intoxication of the world. It's an intoxication of fame. I was on the trail running this morning and the Holy Spirit said, some of you aren't intoxicated with alcohol, you're intoxicated with ministry. Where it's the thing that you desire the most. He's not the one you desire the most. When ministry is the byproduct of your relationship. We've seen this drunkenness infiltrate the worship movement. I I feel like I need to lean in a little more. Watch, it made its way from Australia to America. And now you're watching documentaries about it. And you're watching the leaders of it fall. Because they're intoxicated. Ah. I did not tell you not to drink. I am telling you as your pastor, do not be drunk. I am telling you, do not let demons loosen your home. I am telling you, raise the standard. I am telling you, fear the Lord. I am telling you, listen to me, listen to me, care more about his fire than substituting a strange fire that looks like his fire, but it doesn't produce a holy life. The third cause of strange fire is there is no fear of the Lord. Leviticus 10.3, Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord had said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all people, I will be glorified. Look at this. And Aaron held his peace. Follow this for a second. Moses is talking to his brother about his nephews, but still has to say what God says. There needs to be a fear of the Lord for how pastors in their families steward church. He's talking about his brother's sons. Ah, this is what Eli didn't do with his sons. He didn't have a Moses to bring correction in this moment where Eli stopped obeying God, stopped fearing God. So God had to raise up a Samuel that would be that prophetic confrontation to David's and kings to come. Watch this. This is so important. So he is warning about the compromise in his own home. You know what's wild about this text? They died in church. They weren't in the club. They weren't in an affair. They weren't out in the world. They died in church. Ah, mercy culture, you can lose the fear of the Lord here on a regular basis. When you start letting what is profane open the door to strangeness in your life. He lost the fear of the Lord. We've seen this in our house. A continual warning through songs, through prophetic words, through messages. You know what the problem with strange fire is? Strange fire has no glory in it. Strange fire has a similar sound. 
maybe even produces similar feelings, similar expressions, but it has no glory. Here's what the Lord says. Whoever comes near me must be sanctified. Church, here's what God is teaching us, that as we get closer to his presence, the fear of God in our life must come higher. As God allows us to steward more, gives us more authority, more campuses, more influence in our cities, it means this, our fear needs to grow with it. The Holy Spirit's fire is this. It's when God creates the burn. Leviticus 9.24, look at this. Leviticus 9.24. I've told you this a few times. I want you to see it in the word of God. It says this, and fire came out before the Lord. Pastor Ryan, come and join me. And consumed the burnt offerings and the pieces of the fat of the altar. When the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Church, the Holy Spirit's fire is when God is the source. Strange fire is when we are the source. God's fire is an all-consuming fire, according to Hebrews eleven twenty nine. 29. It consumes every area of your life. Romans 12, 1 says that we're supposed to offer ourselves as living sacrifices unto the fire of the Lord. Scripture says in Luke chapter 12 that Jesus warned a fire was coming. He said, I've come to bring a fire. I wish that it was already burned. We sang about this this morning in the story of the road to Emmaus when they walk with Jesus and they said, I felt my heart burning within me. We sang about it this morning. That fire that was burning within them was released in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost where once again people thought they were intoxicated with wine, but they were really filled with the Spirit. When Acts 2, 3 says they saw like tongues of fire that came and separated on each one of them. Then the Apostle Paul warns to Timothy, this fire that you got at Pentecost, make sure you fan it into flame. Church, here's what I came to tell you, is that when you have a strange fire, it's a fire that you produced. When you have the Lord's fire, it's the fire that he produced that you just steward. I came to ask you today, are you stewarding the fire of God or is it becoming strange? Are you stewarding this fire that he created or are you letting it become something that you can create? I believe this is a prophetic warning for this house. And we need to make sure that we're not becoming familiar. That we are not becoming intoxicated. And that we're not losing the fear of the Lord. I'm going to show you one more thing. And then we're close. You'll notice whenever there's strange fire. It may look and feel and sound like a Holy Ghost fire, but there is no glory in it. You'll even listen to songs on the radio and they cut it off before moments of glory. I watch this all the time. Some people are like, well, our worship kind of drives hard. It's because the presence of the Lord takes you places.
It's kind of intense. His glory is intense. I've noticed this with worship communities that they put their toe in it. What do some churches say? We're spirit filled with seatbelts. That's really cute. But there's no glory in it. I'll listen to songs and I'll hear the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And before they get to glory, they cut back to the chorus that they have to make sure they get back to. Oh. I watch this in churches. The churches begin to grow. And then all of a sudden experts come and start giving you strategy and marketing how to grow it bigger. What if it's not supposed to grow bigger? What if God cuts down an army like Gideon? Because he just wants a remnant of warriors. That heart's desire is to please him. I'm okay with however big or however not big this church gets. If I'm honest and transparent before you, I never think about our church growth. I think about your growth. And how big could your family get? How strong could your relationship with God be if you allow him to strengthen and fortify you? Like Pastor Vanessa said this morning, if you learn to worship him in spirit and truth. I came with the prophetic warning that strange fire isn't coming, it's here. It's here in the worship movement in America. It's here in the church of America. And it's not speaking in tongues. It's when they resist his holiness. When they won't wait for his glory. I want to show you one more thing. If you look at this text that we're reading in Leviticus 10, the instructions don't start in Leviticus 10, it starts in Leviticus 6. And if you just begin to flip through your Bible from Leviticus 6 to Leviticus 10, you will see 10 times, that's my Bible, that it says over and over and over where it's highlighted and the Lord commanded and the Lord commanded, and the Lord commanded, and the Lord commanded, and he was pleased, and he was pleased. The Lord commanded, and he was pleased. The Lord commanded, and he was pleased. The Lord commanded, and he was pleased. Over and over and over, God was clear. This is the worship that I want. This is the honor I want. This is the reverence I want. This is what I want. This is what I want. And then here's what happens. This is wild. The last book of Exodus. After God said all of these things, this is what I want. Here's what happens in God's word. After he said in Exodus chapter 40, it says this. God said over and over, make it like this. Do it like this. Build it like this. And here's what it says. It says, then the cloud covered the tent meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Church, when we obey God, his fire comes, his glory comes. When we disobey God and try to do it our way, strange fire comes. 
And Leviticus is giving mercy culture a warning today to not open the door to strange fire. But when we obey God, when we never lose the prayer, teach us your ways, that we know you and find favor.